Sam Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Going to be seeing some stuff and you're going to fucking love it. This is Emsolation. What advice would you give your teenage self, Michael Lucas? You're gay. Well, it's pretty easy. <laughs> you can do it. If you're worried you can't do it, I'm here to tell you, you can. You can't be unhappy when you're stuffing that in your mouth. You're in Emsolation. And if that soundbite doesn't get used in our new intros, I don't know what is up or down. Hello. Hello. Can you hear how glad I am that you're here? Can you hear the warmth toward you in my voice? I'm continuously grateful that you choose to listen to this podcast. This thing that I make with my best friend that is completely and utterly us, me, unfiltered. Well, let me filtered because I, I do want some people to listen. <laughs> We just swing from the weirdest topics and you trust us and come along for the ride. And I'm, I'm glad I get to make it. Oh, my God. Well, I have a lot to talk about today, especially with Michael. I'm a little bit disappointed with the crown. I'm not going to lie. I'm having some big, real feelings. As when Elio's having a meltdown, I say to him, I know you're having big feelings, baby. Oh, it's okay. Have the big feelings. I am having two-year-old style big feelings toward the crown. I won't give it away. Why? You'll hear that very shortly. And Harry Styles in a kilt. I had to check his age so many times, but it's okay. He's like 26. So it's totally fine that I am viewing him in such a light. (laughs) And Dolly Parton solved COVID, just an FYI. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about the power of saying no. No, thank you. No, thanks. Can I think about that? I don't think I have time for it. I've had a big week of saying no. And I just wanted to share with you the joy of it. Because despite what you may believe about me or have read about me, I am a people pleaser. I am someone who likes everyone around me to just feel good. Because I think I'm an anxious person. From a very young, when I was a very young kid, I was like a barometer. I'd walk in and take the anxiety temperature of the room. And I would know, you know, if my mum needed bolstering, if my dad was okay, you know, anyone else, my friends. And then I would immediately kind of switch on the charm offensive and the the class clown. And I think that's how I learned how to be funny because I always kind of felt like it was my responsibility. And poor little Em on on her shoulders, the heavy responsibility of kind of lifting everyone up and making them feel good because I don't think I felt good. All right, psychology come through. How much counselling have you had? All of the counselling is the answer to that. But I've never really been good at saying no. I'm really good at saying yes and then going away and feeling resentment and then fantasizing about nine different ways to get out of what I've agreed to and then building myself up to so much sickness about the thing I've agreed to that I don't want to do, you know, that it – like I'm an expert at that. But what I'm not very good at is being okay with kind of – and I'm going to frame it – incorrectly, but letting people down. (laughs) But really, if I say yes to something I want to say no to, I'm actually letting myself down. Ah, more therapy talk. But this week, I don't know, I think because, well, I'm in dream week, guys. Remember dream week? Yeah, I've got my period. And um, I just felt the need to kind of put a bit of a protective wall around myself. So there's been two occasions that I said no to things I normally would have said yes to. And one of them was a favour that a friend asked of me. And in the past, I've said yes to this friend every time. But this time, I also kind of feel like this friendship is sometimes a little bit one way. 
they're a lovely person, but sometimes I feel like they only come to me when they want something. And I did read through all our text message exchange from this person and indeed any time they've contacted me, it's for a favour and this was no exception. So I said to this person, look, and I told them the truth. I said, I mean, I didn't tell them I felt our friendship was one way. I'm not that brave. I, not always one way, but mostly. I said to them, look, I'm really slammed at the moment with everything else. I'm trying to kind of protect my energy levels given the year we've had. Um, it sounds like a great project, but I respectfully decline to take part. And they were fine with it. Oh, my God. They were so great about it, truly. And I just thought, oh, could it have been this easy all along? Another thing came up about hosting my husband's family Christmas at my house. And it's our turn. It's our turn to host my husband's family Christmas at our place And I didn't know that. Scott had forgotten to tell me that. And then my sister-in-law contacted me and said, hey, are you okay with us all coming there for Christmas, you know, if we're allowed to? And I wanted to burst into tears. And I went to type, yes, of course, can't wait. And then something in me just went, no, tell the truth. So, and she's, my sister-in-law's amazing, Lucy. She totally gets it. She also gets what it is to be married to a barrow. And (laughs) we're an elite club. And I said, Honestly, that made me want to cry. I have so much work to do. I just don't think I'd be able to pull it together without some kind of psychological breakdown. Is it okay if we don't do it this year and I'll do it next year? And she was like, oh, my God, yes, that is so fine. So, again, it was totally okay to say no. And As long as you're respecting them when you say no, it's fine. So, I guess what I'm asking you today is are there situations, are there areas in your life where you could say no and just protect your heart and soul a little bit rather than giving it all away. Because I'm very aware, as I said in our last podcast, we are coming into the time of year where if you are in charge of the domestic load, oh my God, I feel my heart racing as I say this to you. If you are in charge of the domestic load, you're about to hit like grand final terms. School's about to finish. Christmas is coming up. Lots of family stuff. Um, end of year wrap-ups, those kind of thing. And it's been a massive, emotional, big, hard, turbulent year. You need to start putting some tank. Your Super Mario, you need to start filling up your energy tank. You need to start protecting yourself. And you need to look for small wins. And if you say, no, you know what, I'm not going to host that stall. You know what, no, I actually can't babysit that person. You know what, I'm not going to be able to cover the Christmas shopping this year. Here's a list. Would you be able to go and do that for me? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I need a T-shirt that says, do you know what I mean? Find ways to start reserving, putting your stores in because as much as I preach, as much as I want the domestic load to be fair, as much as I want everyone to equally contribute and not fall upon the woman in your house, I know it still does. I know it still does. Not all households but the majority and it certainly still happens in mine. It's better. It's definitely better but I still do most of the fucking work. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Well, that's enough for me. Just your friendly reminder from me to say no, 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 no. Thank you very much. Okay, guys, let's bring Michael in. It's been enough impromptu singing. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. 
All right, I've already had to scream save it at him six times, so we're ready to go, Michael Lucas. <laughs> we're cranked up. I feel like you're particularly cranked up. I am cranked up. There's so many things to talk about. Let's start first with the documentary, The Crown. <laughs> or are you going to subtract that subtitle from, from I'm just how you breathe. describe this series? I'm really mad. I mean, obviously I love it. Like, I have a very complicated relationship because it is just, it's monarchist porn. I mean, it's, uh, someone sent us a message saying, Em, you're an, I- an ironicist. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I'm a, because I do love the monarchy, but in an ironic sense, I more love the royals and more to the point, I love the queen. And more to the point, you love the outfits. That's the. Oh my God. The <laughs> outfits, zero. the attention to detail, and the money they spent. Just some of the shots that they've recreated, just one second of footage, and it's this whole beautiful crane shot that would. Like, I'm amazed. Mm. But I think Peter Morgan, who's the writer, needs to decide is he. Making a documentary or is he making a total fiction? (laughs) And I think he's in really grey area, muddy waters with season four particularly because it does cover some very touchy topics and obviously our main characters are Thatcher, Prince Charles, Di and the Queen. Do you think though, can I ask you straight up, do you think that it is worse in season four because he's changed his approach or do you think it's just because now we're in living memory pretty clearly, like even yeah. we have living memory, albeit we're little yeah. kids, of this? Yeah. Like well, basically all that stuff about like Princess Margaret smoking and being fabulous and swanning around and having affairs oh. with photographers, we just bought whatever they told us because we don't really know much about that, whereas now we know everything about this. Yeah, but that was documented, that stuff, and they were still pretty vague on, you know, it was all very sweeping, beautiful brushstrokes. It feels like in this season he's really gone out of his way to imagine what happened and therein lies the problem because I I read an article with Peter Morgan, the writer, Mm. and he said it's based on real-life events but not entirely factual. I mean, straight away. Yeah. (laughs) That sentence is problematic. And then he said we do our very best to get it right but sometimes I have to conflate incidents. Yes. It feels like he flips in and out. So there are some very historical accurate things that are going on and they have got everything down to the final button on Dye's outfits. There mm. is like they're really painstakingly recreating oh, that press conference when they oh. announced their engagements and he said, Whatever love is oh. uh, that was so precisely replicated. Exactly. So to go from that to then completely fabricating a letter that Lord Mountbatten never wrote to Charles encouraging him to kind of settle and stop going after Camilla Parker Bowles and, and go for the woman that helps the monarchy. That never happened. The choice of a woman was the issue around which the last Prince of Wales came to grief. And it's astonishing to me that 40 years after the abdication, you're making so little attempt to conceal your infatuation for another man's wife. Yeah, but they know that was his position. Yeah, but you can't because that seems to then have been the catalyst for Charles proposing. Yes, he he stitches things together to um, create motivation. But he's been doing that the entire time. Absolutely the entire time. All of those tense negotiations between the Queen and Philip. How dare you? It's, we just didn't, we didn't have the sense of, of it to, know, to be so aware of the fact that it was a creation. But I do feel like he's gone a little harder on the tabloidy stuff. I just, I really feel this season's been, he's gone a little bit, he's turned the juice up. Don't you think? 
I think, it, well, I mean, you know, his job is to take these boring, you know, incidents and try and find the juice in them. And, and in some cases that means putting things together and thinking, <laughs> okay, I've got, a, I've got a good little current happening here when really it wasn't. But also I think, I think the underlying, like it really was more of a soap opera in this era as well. Like when you compare it to the last season in particular. I don't know if I could do it. I just, I mean, I'll do it. Obviously I'll do it. I would also say part of the weird thing about it is, um, in previous seasons overall, like when you described it as monarchist porn, I would have said, yes, the crown absolutely <laughs> is good for the monarchy because it makes yeah. Queen Elizabeth seem like this sort of stable, oh. sensible, well-meaning she woman. She still is in this season. She but still is. let me tell you, if I was Charles, it would be uncomfortable for you. <laughs> oh, mate. He's one step oh. short of a sociopath. I know. And Andrew. But I, still, I mean, he's I, done himself I, oh. in really. I mean. <gasps> Dude, there's a scene with Andrew and the Queen where they're having dinner, where she's trying to decide her favourite child. By the way, that episode, the whole premise was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> felt like a Year 10 Media Studies project. The way that script was written, I wanted to rip it from Peter's hands and redo it. Yeah. We don't need you to join the dots for us. We, The Crown audience is quite intelligent. I speak on behalf of all Crown viewers. We don't need you to physically have someone say my favourite child is and then as if the Queen went on a crusade to interview all her kids to decide who her favourite was. No, that was just his little but premise. But then he, he literally sat there and talked about being a, like liking watching young women being seduced yes. as if that conversation happened. It's really set up Well, no, you. he did date that woman and uh, that he was talking about and we know that he... <laughs> Yeah, I know, but do you think he openly spoke to his mother, the Queen, who he wasn't that close with, who was intimated that he's her favourite and said, yeah, I'm, I'm dating a woman and it was quite – I liked watching her in a, in a movie where she was a schoolgirl getting seduced by lecherous old men. Yes, I think it's what? unlikely. I mean, it is a weird thing. He is – yeah, he's, he's using these real-life characters to create a, a, a fictional story really. And I must admit the weird thing for me watching it is – like I'm right now writing a show set in the 1980s that involves yes. some real events and I am so cautious. I can't even tell you how cautious. <laughs> if a real-life character comes into this story, I'm so – I keep on thinking their children are going to watch it. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, to a certain extent, all biopics are fictionalised takes on what happened. But is this a biopic? Well, it's a, it's a the long form. It's a, it, yeah, and I think that's part of the problem is because it's a yes. long form, they have to come up with all these little premises for episodes. True. So we need things like the Queen in this episode will decide <laughs> who is her favourite child. <laughs> and I just don't believe that Thatcher's daughter went her and said, "Why is Mark your favourite child?" Again, the writer shoving it down her throat that this is the theme, guys. Thematically, this episode, just in case you're not sure, is about picking your favourite child. He loves a theme. He really does. And he's not afraid to hit it pretty hard. Mate, I love a theme. I get it. A theme's great. But I don't shove Oh, actually, I did have vaginas. But that's fine. Um, So I'm a comedian. But the other thing I want to talk about is the whole complex relationship that Britain has with Thatcher. Mm. And and the way that Gillian's portraying it, you sent me the most hysterical text about Twitter talking about how she's doing it as Gandalf. True courage. It's about knowing not when to take a life, but when to spare one. There's no such thing as political murder or political bombing or political violence. (laughs) And now I can never, I watched it last night. It was going, you must decide. And as as she was speaking last night, I just kept flashing to Gandalf. You shall not pass! Oh, my 
God, you've ruined it for I'm me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the terrifying fact is at the start of this season, she is only 10 years older than I am right now, not than M is. Let's be known that M is much, much younger than me, much younger. Thank but- you. Four months, in fact, but on paper, <laughs> a year. On paper, it's a year, guys, four months. But when someone says to Michael Lucas right now today, how old are you? I'm 42 years old. How old am I? Oh, You're- 41. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Yeah. youthful 41. Um, thank you. Yeah, well, that Gillian yeah. has egged the sort of deep, straining, <laughs> breathless voice and the walk, and it feels, you feel like you're looking at a 60-something when you're, when you're looking <laughs> you at do. this. You and do. when you go back and look at the footage of her in this period, she wasn't quite that. I mean, she definitely has mimicked the tones of her voice and a lot of her movement really, really oh, well, yeah. but she yeah. has egged the age a bit. Absolutely. But also what I want to talk about is the fact that he insinuated, Peter, the writer, that the Falklands War was started because she was emotional over her son going missing in a rally car race. That was a bold choice, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bloody it emotional was definitely, women. definitely shown that she was conflating her emotion with her missing son into her desire to be take a very hard stance in this conflict. As we've just heard that her son is missing, no one can find him. And then she says the line, we must not leave the people of Falklands to feel as though they've been abandoned. I'm like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Thank you for drawing the fucking line again, Pete. <laughs> anyway. I love it how you're now on a less than, less than first name basis with this writer. He's delivered you your greatest joy and your most profound frustration all in yep. one absolutely oh. maddening package. I have notes for Pete that I'll happily send should someone find me a postal address. <laughs> Just, it feels like you're on the brink of, right, I've made my own version of the crown. <laughs> this is how it should have been. I would have showed the whole wedding I would have showed getting ready I felt very ripped off when we only saw the back of the dress It's incredibly accurate There are musical numbers Allegedly they didn't sing But in my version, (laughs) they do Be Our Guest guest was performed from Beauty and the Beast I don't care if it wasn't written back then The butlers performed it My mum, who has, you know, adored it for all these seasons She's gone into struggle town Particularly with the die episode She was doing a whole lot of I don't want to see her vomiting all the time (laughs) We do know that bit happened I mean, there's no question about that. But also, it, it really has shocked me how how hard they've gone. I mean, that episode was called Fairy Tale, and they really went out of their way to make you. It was like a psychological horror. I know. If you had it, any affection left for those early days of Charles and Diana, they bludgeoned it out of you. I just can't believe there was zero romance for me. I just thought perhaps there was. A, they conceived a children, two children. There must have been at some point some tenderness between the two of them, but not not in Pete's mind. Pete has her locked up as a fucking modern-day Rapunzel. Well, that is – I mean, it it does feel like it's uh, aligning with the way she painted the situation. If you would say in when they're covering Diana, they're sticking a bit more closely to her telling of events. All right. We'll move on to her. Oh, I, I have no doubt we'll be returning. I mean, how many episodes have you got to go? You're only halfway through, aren't you? Not even. I'm. Yeah, I've just finished the episode about the guy who broke into the palace. Oh, you've created a new category. We've had hate watches before, but you've got to love hate watch. <laughs> now I need to talk about something to soothe me, and that's Harry Styles in a skirt on the front cover of Vogue. Watermelon sugar. High. Oh my God! Thank you, Gucci. Thank you, Vogue. <laughs> Thank you, Harry Styles' mum, who you pointed out is only nine years older than you, ten years older than me. <laughs> Until March. If you're listening to this in March, just let it be known we are both. 
<laughs> Nine years younger than her. Shut your mouth. Wait, just let me get this. Woo! Now, Marcello, who does our social media, will be very excited to put this together on our Instagram well, once it's done. the we'll, we'll do a collage of Harry Styles. He supplied like. a lot of looks, and I think all of them deserve a great deal of consideration. Mm, but it would seem that some right-wing commentators uh, got their knickers in a knot over the fact that this image of him in multiple skirts, one one shot in a kilt that sent you and I over the edge, is an attack on uh, manly men. It is an attack on manly men and um, something needs to be done. Do you think anywhere in Russia or China or anywhere in the East men are wearing dresses and heels just a serious question. If you don't understand that all of this is just a part of a bigger plan to take down the West, um, I can't help you. Virtually everything that comes out of Hollywood is about destroying values and weakening our society. So whether that's baby mama culture, uh, you know, women taking their clothes off, feminism, right? I don't need a man, all of the stuff that you're seeing and now men in dresses in vogue. If you don't realize by now that Hollywood is satanic and you should not be idolizing those people, I can't help you. I just suddenly realized, of course, the kilt. I didn't realize the jock connection jock. that was playing in here. My I God, it was happening subconsciously. Only just I now. That's why you sent it to me. <laughs> no, oh I hadn't God. thought of it. I just had this like sudden, con- just convulsive, excited reaction to it and sent that picture directly to you. It's Harry sort of reclining in this oh. sort of funky, punky, deconstructed, weird kilt thing. And you see all of his tats are out. It's also, I have to say, selling all the pictures is his facial expressions. Because oh, I- yeah. Let's uh, yeah. just consider for a moment if I attempted to put on this fashion and someone took a picture of me, my face would ruin it. You'd see no! the weird awkwardness in my eyes. <laughs> You'd see the self-consciousness, the palpable self-consciousness. But Harry, <laughs> cool as ice. He just stares. You look into those yeah. eyes and it's like a tropical yeah. sunset. On a summer evening. He is so calm. Wait, how old is he again? Is 26. Oh, totally fine. Um, remember my rule. If you're too old to have birthed them, if you're too young to have birthed them, it's okay to purr. Well, you could have birthed him. No, could not. How, how old? It's right I on the edge. If, if nah. you did it when you were 14. No, no, that's not. No. I mean, people. Biologically. Okay, this is not. Barely. 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 Got barely. my period just before turning 14. So, Barely. Here is what Candace Owens had to say. There is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Oh, no, (laughs) Harry Styles is attacking masculinity. (laughs) Run, run, men. Clutch your balls and penises and run for the hills. (laughs) I... I just, I just, it's 2020. I'm so exhausted by this topic of conversation. I just can't believe that anyone is threatened by Harry Styles. And can I remind everyone that kilts were worn into battle by great Scottish warriors, that togas were worn by Roman dictators, some of the most, you know, traditionally manly men in our history. Skirts represent traditional manhood. And also, I've got a couple of things to say about it, but firstly, this whole strong men thing, I, and this, I know this is a, I know you'll have a rebuttal to this, but I do think Harry 
is showing strength in doing this. I think it's, I, I, I don't look at it and think in any way that this is a weak move. He seems so comfortable with himself in a way that does seem really strong to me. Yeah, but I mean, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about people applauding him too much for it too. Yes. Because, like, he is a rich, successful, good-looking, straight, white guy. Like, first of all, so he's top of the food chain. Top of the food chain. And he's popped on a, skirt, a, a kilter skirt for fashion and he's still getting criticised. So imagine what it's like to be just a transgender person trying to live. Oh, your yes. Life. No, obviously there were people for whom it would a move like this would be way, way braver and they would have way, way backlash. But yeah. he's still doing something. I mean, who else is doing it? Not many other people. My kids are of that generation, Gen Z millennials, who they are completely moving away from that notion of gender and the stereotypes that, of, of, you know, a revolver around that. And I accept that my kids are a little bit more progressive and lefty and have been exposed to it and it's very normal to experience with your sexuality and your fashion and, yes, they've grown up in that kind of environment. <laughs> Thank you. I'm such a good mother. But <laughs> I do understand that, you know, for the greater population, gender stereotypes still exist. I mean, you just go to Target or Kmart, there's a oh, pink And gender reveal and parties are a thing. They weren't a exactly. thing when we were growing up. Also, her, Candace Owens' whole, like, little thesis, the feminization of men at the same time Marxism, Marxism is being taught, I, I call bullshit because, yeah. like, think about the mid-'80s when you had your boy Georges and your dead or alive and all of a sudden cross-dressing was all over the culture. That was at the height of the Cold War and Thatcher yeah. years when we were, yeah. we were about as far away from Marxism. There's no connection there. No, there isn't at all. At all. I know. The whole, the whole tweet was a bizarre it was it was crazy and obviously got picked up by the Harry Styles fans which you think the Swifties are intense the Styles I don't know what they call themselves. What's their collective now? I don't know, but I do need to find out because I'm getting more and more worried that I actually am one. <laughs> oh, I am too. I love him so much. I know. But, but, he and Lizzo are here to save oh, pop yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Oh, same. I agree. But to finish my rant, it wasn't just pointing out that I'm a good mother. Um, no. I do understand that this visual would be something that kind of seems provocative and fresh and, and a little bit kind of scary for a boy to be doing this and other boys to see it. But I say normalise it, encourage it. Because what's happening now for men, it isn't working. As women are trying to fight to be able to express themselves as they want, men need to be able to be given the space to do the same thing. And that is stepping outside of traditional masculinity. And this kind of thing, it, it allows men to not feel they have to live up to one stereotype. Suicide rates among, among men are sky high, like because they're, you know, we need to kind of help and talk about this idea of changing the rules around being a man. So it's so constrictive to be a man. And and the danger is. is, I mean, yes, we have more acceptance in terms of, you know, obviously you you're in a much better position in, you know, in, in countries like ours, if you're if you're growing up gay, obviously things yeah. have improved drastically, but we're still incredibly set on labels and there's this terror of like if you know if I put on a dress unless I'm drunk at some sort of mad Monday thing in which case it's mysteriously okay but if I put on a dress then that means this and it means that and it means that and I think what's so powerful about Harry and why it makes such an impact is because he's so at ease resisting all those kinds of labels and and mm. and I, I think yep. it I think it just loosens people up to be able yep. to be whoever they want without feeling all this constrictive sense of, oh, my God, oh, my God, yeah. if I go down this path, I'm saying this about myself or I'm doing this or I'm, 
Yeah, he's yeah. he's just chill. And also, good album. Oh, such a good album. They're called Stylers. Our producer Tony's just informed me. The collective noun for Harry Styles fans are Stylers. Okay, so, cool. Well, we are. I hope there is a subcategory for forty something. Don't don't stylers. do it. What? Don't. We're cool. I don't mention our age. Doesn't matter. We're talking about breaking boundaries. 40 is the new 20, guys. I'm wearing space buns and people are shocked. Are they? What do you mean they're shocked? I put my hair in two buns the other day, space buns, which I've done. I do all the time. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And I got so many messages, over 100 messages saying, oh, I wish I felt comfortable enough to do that. Your hair looks so cute, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, fuck. I I never get this. I remember there was a period of time when my mother suddenly decided that she couldn't have long hair anymore because she was too old for long hair. And I must have missed the weird bit of socialisation where you're supposed to understand that women can't, there are all these ages where you can't do shit. Yeah. So many rules now. Apparently, when you're 40, you've got to stop wearing bikinis, you've got to stop wearing short skirts, we don't show the tops of our arms, got to put the boobs away. There's all these rules. But for me, the only thing I'm shedding in my 40s is the fucking expectations of the fashion I should be wearing. I'll wear whatever the hell I want. I want that cross-stitched and framed. (laughs) Can someone put that on a meme? Hanging inside your door next to the psychedelic (laughs) vagina. Sorry, I know you don't want to be the vagina queen. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Um, I don't know how we got here. But, yes, show your sons pictures of Harry Styles. Normalise crying. Normalise boys having emotions, playing with dolls. Respect And show them Kamala Harris. It's important. Everyone's going on about little girls seeing Kamala Harris. Yes, but little boys need to see that as normal as well. Rah! Now, <laughs> finally, we wanted to talk about <laughs> Dolly Parton curing coronavirus. That's basically. it. Let the history books show. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a more complicated picture. We don't want to hear about it. No. How dare you. History of 2020. Can we please talk about, can I be Peter Morgan of 2020 right now? Yeah. Dolly Parton, the crown writer, guys. Dolly Parton has um, effectively put on her gloves, on her flesh-coloured surgical gloves. The gloves do have nails attached. And she has cured coronavirus. She did. She went down. She went into the laboratories. (laughs) Hey, I'm going with the trial. And she got it done. Yeah, she went to the Vanderbilt Medical Center. Should we provide any facts to this or no? no? Okay. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Have you tried mixing that stuff with that stuff and that there vial? Oh, so cute. Uh, She donated a million dollars to the Vanderbilt Medical Center who hosted part of the clinical trial for the 94.5% effective vaccine that's currently the leader in the coronavirus vaccines. Yes, the U.S. government did also donate $1 billion (laughs) without Who cares? That wasn't that wasn't the billion dollars. That was they got it across the line. It was Dolly's million. Correct. It was her donation that led to the final. Like someone just going, "Oh my god, I've got it! Can we just have ten more? Is there ten more dollars? Yes, sir. Here's ten more dollars from Dolly Parton." If I was Peter Morgan, I would also say that maybe one of the critical scientists was born illiterate, but then thanks to the (gasps) Dolly Imagination Library, learned how to read and became a scientist, and then invented it. So it was a double win for Dolly. Oh, my God, let it be known. Fact. Yes, that did happen. Oh, my God. I love that. And also this this same guy, the guy who was illiterate and yeah. then went to the manager, he's also gay yeah. and felt emboldened by Dolly's words and Coat of Many Colours song to let his family know, who then encouraged him to go and become a scientist. 
because they wanted him to be truly who he is. Now, he is a he is a gay, illiterate scientist who can now read and has solved coronavirus because of Dolly. It's a really moving episode of the series. And it's in- called Rainbow Vaccine. I oh, know that sounds like we're trying to eradicate. <laughs> sounds LGBTQ. scary. No, um, what's our episode called? What would you call it? Oh, God. Uh, uh, um, um, uh, could you yeah. just say Vax of Many Colours? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Work in nine to thrive. Thri- um, th- <laughs> no, we'll come up with- working to 95%. Oh, that doesn't really Effective work. Effective rate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We're both writers, guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm exhausted. Jesus. Oh, I just, you did want to make a little correction. We've seen some really sad, distressing scenes coming out of South Australia where people in hotel quarantine have been told they've got to do another two weeks. I totally get them wailing. I mean, oh. I, 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 I would be wailing if you're listening to us in quarantine now. Like Michael Festival wishes to apologise for. Saying I do. I want to apologise for saying because yeah. I and I was saying it jokingly about how your first reaction when you hear about Adelaide is shut the borders, shut the borders. But in actual fact, I think that's crazy. And these, as yeah. as we all know, as we all know, the coronavirus can go underground, be undetected for for yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. New Zealand's shown it. Adelaide shows it. And so these things are going to keep happening and we can't shut the borders every single time. We have to have strong enough testing and trace. Obviously take precautions. Like obviously, you know, say, well, here's a problem area and so people moving around absolutely need to be tested and checked and all that sort of stuff. But uh, we're going to have a really weird next year if we keep shutting the borders every time. So I judge myself for saying shut the borders when Adelaide. I really do. I want to retract it. Oh, my God. Our first retraction. Yeah. Yes. Is I it? love that it's you and not me. Yeah, I don't think I – I just get things edited out. I don't have to retract them. Oh, that's true. Actually, no, no, we've both done that at times. We've both done a little bit of a wake up. Hang on a second. What was I saying uh, there? I would say probably me more than you. Yeah, sometimes I get a text that's going, hey, did I go a bit far when I said this? Tell me honestly. It's playing on my mind. And usually when I'm sending that text, I know the answer. Yeah. If the fact I, that you sent it in the first place yeah, is your answer, correct. really. Yeah, correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, but yeah, my ha- we we are thinking of you, poor bastards. I just, I saw the images and I had a real pang. The only thing that sustains you when you're waiting for that is just the date coming, the date coming, the date to have it change. It's like how Melbourne lost our collective shit when we had yeah. the day long pause. Yeah, it's so true. So to any South Australians listening, we we feel for you. We will Michael, who is in charge of border control on this episode of The Crown, he um will be keeping it open for you. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh talk to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. Thank you. That's it. We're done. Hey, I just want to let you know there's going to be a special uh, Salation conversation with the wonderful Broden Kelly. Now, if you're unaware of Broden, he is part of my favourite comedy group, Annie Donna. They are just, well, I can't explain to you how much I love them. They are the weirdest, bravest comedians I know and they're having massive success on Netflix at the moment. You must go watch their show, Annie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Fuck, I laughed. Everything's a drum. Everything's a drum. We started out in the same tiny rooms at Comedy Festival and I've known the boys a long time. 
But I've always secretly kind of wanted to be a part of their gang. I've never been cool enough, but I feel like this interview may be the step one. So get ready for some super awkwardness from me. <laughs> but that's coming out Friday. But even if you don't know Broden, his story is one I certainly resonate with. It's about kind of going out and creating your own magic, and they certainly have done that. Uh, and I do relate to that. They found their own community of lunatics as I have. So it'll be well worth a chat, even just to hear me trying to like impress, uh, um, you know, how I am about around other comedians. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to not get needy. I'm going to have a needy meter. But yeah, listen out for that. Broden Kelly from Arnie Donna and go and watch it on Netflix. It's absurd. It's absurd. It's not suitable for children in any way. But it is gloriously absurd. I wholeheartedly recommend it for a laugh. All right, gang, we'll chat soon. That will be out tomorrow, Friday, if you're listening on a Thursday. Otherwise, you know, have a great weekend. Love you, loving us, but mainly love you. Bye, guys. <laughs>